We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson The first century was a period of unrest, uncertainty among those who were followers of God. It seems to me that we live in a day and time in which there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions about our future, a lot of questions about the future of Christianity and this nation. And yet I want to encourage us that even in times of uncertainty, We as God's people can be absolutely 100% certain in our faith and the hope that we have in Christ. In looking at our lesson text tonight, I want to call attention to three very basic fundamental things. First of all, the Apostle Paul talks about his salvation in the Lord. And then secondly, he's going to talk about his service in the Lord. And then thirdly, his security in the Lord. I want to begin by noting with you his salvation in the Lord. Listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. First of all, Paul talks about his pain in the gospel. Down in verse 12, Paul said, For this reason... Paul had been appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. And so he said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. If you look at the life of the apostle Paul, you see that there's a lot of documentation about the trials and difficulties that he faced as a servant of God. Over in chapter 2, Paul would say that he suffered trouble even as an evildoer. To the point of chains. Paul had been imprisoned back in about A.D. 61-62. And now he is a prisoner once again. And this time, as we would say, the outcome is not going to be favorable. Paul knows that death is imminent. Nero Caesar would ultimately have his head. And so Paul was well acquainted with sufferings and trials and difficulties. Over in chapter 3, he talked about the various trials, persecutions, and afflictions that he had encountered at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But he said the Lord delivered him out of them all. But now he is a prisoner of the Lord. God used the Apostle Paul in many different places in many different ways. One of the things that I would point out very quickly Look over in chapter 2, verse 9. When Paul talked about suffering trouble as an evildoer, he said, even to the point of chains, but here's what he said, the word of God is not chained. Even though Paul was in prison, what was he doing? Still preaching, still teaching, still writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, still being used actively by Almighty God. If you look at the life of Paul, one of the things you have to say is, God used him effectively, and Paul allowed himself to be a a vehicle for God's usage, didn't he? God used him 
in a great way. So he talks about his pain in the gospel, and then he talks about the plan of the gospel, that is, the provisions of the gospel. Listen again to what he says in verse 9. He said, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God had designed a plan to save the human family before he ever laid the foundations of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter points out that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without spot and without blemish, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times for you. God's plan in place before he ever created man. The plan that God devised was such that it could remedy the souls of the human family. We have been called today by the gospel of Christ. The provisions of the gospel are such that we can enjoy the blessings of God's grace, mercy, and love, can't we? Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When people respond to that gospel message in faith, they contact first and foremost the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, we can't be saved. John said that Jesus shed his blood in his death, John 19, 34 and 35. We appropriate that blood when we obey the gospel. John, writing in the latter part of the first century, said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. When you obey the gospel, you contact the blood of Christ. We're saved by the grace of God, yes. But wherever God's grace goes, it is always accompanied by divine teaching. And so in Titus chapter 2, Paul said, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent. There are things that God has done on our behalf. In order for us to appropriate these blessings, we have to be responsive to the gospel, don't we? When we render obedience to the gospel of Christ, then we tap into the grace of God, we enjoy the mercy of God, we are saved by the blood of Christ, and we are added to the body of Christ. All of that occurs through the provisions that God has made possible in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul here talks about his pain in the gospel, the power of the gospel, and here's one of the great things about the gospel. It has the ability, the innate power to save the hardest of hearts, to reach those who are lost and dying in sin. You think about the Apostle Paul. Paul talked about his past life as a Jew, how he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So if anybody understood the power of the gospel, the provisions that are made possible in this message, Paul did, first and foremost. But then think with me, if you would, 
about his service in the Lord. As we think about his service in the Lord, I want to just point out very briefly, very quickly, that down in verse 10, Paul said, speaking of this gospel message, that it has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross and rose again on the third day, he rendered death inoperative. Now it's true we die, physically speaking. But it's not as though we die without hope. Because even though the body is placed in the ground, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that one day this body will come forth. There will be a resurrection of the dead. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil. So death has been rendered inoperative. And through the gospel of Christ, Paul said Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. We enjoy first and foremost life here and now, don't we? That is, we have a quality of life consummated in Christ wherein we enjoy all these great spiritual blessings. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. In other words, in Christ there is true life, a quality of life, unparalleled. We enjoy satisfaction, contentment, and happiness in Christ. But we also live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So I think about the life that we enjoy now and the hope that we have beyond the grave. So it's in light of all of this that Paul could use himself in God's service. So we talk about his service in the Lord. First there was an appointment, and then there was action or activities on his part. In verse 11, Paul said, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. When God called Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 9, God said to Ananias, he is a chosen vessel of mine. Paul, in writing to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, said that God had separated him from his mother's womb and called him through grace. God had special purposes in mind for Saul of Tarsus, didn't he? So when Saul obeyed the gospel, God used him effectively, but God intended to use him as a preacher, an apostle, that is a special ambassador on behalf of Christ, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Could I ask you this question? Did Paul allow himself to be used by God in great ways? The answer is yes. Let me ask this question. Think about whatever talents or abilities God has endowed you with. Are you, are you allowing God to use you to further his kingdom? Paul had grown up at the feet of Gamaliel. He had been a great student of the Jewish law. He was esteemed by his peers. And yet when he obeyed the gospel, he gave all of that up. He would write in Philippians chapter 3, What things were gained to me, these, he said, I've counted lost for Christ. 
So Paul was willing to walk away from all of that to be used as a servant of God. I like when he wrote to the churches of, or rather the church at Philippi. He begins by introducing himself to the saints there by way of introduction. And he speaks of himself and Timothy as servants of the Lord. Now you think about all the things that he could have said and you bear in mind all the credentials that he had. Here's a guy that was an apostle. He was an inspired penman. He was a preacher. He had all these great credentials. And yet he viewed himself as a servant of the Lord. So Paul used himself for the good of, of the kingdom. So his appointment and then his activities. Paul covered a lot of ground in his lifetime, didn't he? As a matter of fact, when he would write to the church at Ephesus, he would say, we are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That word workmanship there carries with it the idea of God's masterpiece. When you obey the gospel, you are God's masterpiece. As a masterpiece of God, the intent is to use you to do great things. We have been created in Christ Jesus, as he would say, unto good works. All the things that Paul did for the cause of Christ, not for his glory, not for his adulation, but rather he did those things to bring honor and glory to God. As a matter of fact, he would say in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 21, unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Paul was an active servant of the Lord. He was, as he said, a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. And you can read the book of Acts and you can travel with him as he makes those missionary journeys. And goes from city to city, from place to place, preaching and teaching the gospel. You ever wondered how many people will one day be in heaven because of the efforts of Paul? Think about all the souls that he reached, all the lives that he touched. And then ask yourself this question. How many people will be in heaven because of your life, your influence, your teaching, your encouragement, your labor for the cause of Christ? Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When I think about the life of the Apostle Paul, I think about somebody who was going from sunup to sundown, from can to can't. I had a teacher of mine when I was at Lipscomb many years ago. He had done missionary work in Japan. When he retired from Lipscomb, he was head of the Bible department. When he retired from the school, he was probably 70 at that time. He moved to Hawaii to engage in mission work. But he said about his time in Japan, he said that that was the most fulfilling work because every night he could go to bed with the knowledge he had done everything humanly possible to advance the cause of Christ. Every waking minute, 
have been used in service to God. I know that we have jobs, we have things that we have to do on a daily basis, we have responsibilities, but all of us ought to carve out a little bit of time to promote the cause, to advance the cause of Christ. There's a third thing I want you to see in our text, and that is the security that he had in the Lord. It's one thing to talk about our salvation in the Lord, and then we think about our service in the Lord. One of the great themes of Scripture is our security that we have in Christ. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said, beginning in verse 12. He's going to talk about three very specific things here in verses 12 and 13. First, he's going to talk about the object of his faith. Then secondly, the objective of his faith. And then thirdly, the obligation of his faith. So what about the object of his faith? Look at verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. How confident do you think Paul was in his relationship with the Lord? Do you think there was any wavering on his part? Do you think there were times in his life when he wavered in his trust and faith in God? I don't think so. I see somebody that was absolutely 100% confident in his relationship to God. He believed in the God of heaven. He believed in Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. He had that kind of conviction. And so he could say, look, I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded. How do we, how do we develop that kind of conviction today? Do you have that kind of conviction? Do you have rock-solid faith? Sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow doubt to creep into our minds, can't we? And you think about all the things that you hear and see in times of uncertainty, in times of unrest. And there are things that go on in our world that sometimes, if we're not careful, can shake our faith. Paul was living in difficult times. He was living under the reign of the Roman Empire. It was a godless, pagan government. And yet Christianity thrived. And there were intentions on the part of many people to destroy Christianity. Nero Caesar had it out for Christians. But you know what? The more they persecuted those who were members of the church the more the church grew. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the church in her infancy. The Bible tells us that they beat the apostles. They commanded them not to teach nor preach in the name of Jesus. But the Bible says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And the Bible says daily they continued preaching and teaching the gospel, publicly and privately. Let me tell you what, that's conviction. That's rock-solid faith. Now, you want that kind of faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There's a correlation in the strength of our faith in this book that we call the Bible. The more time you spend in this book, the greater, the deeper your faith. 
So Paul says, I know whom I believed. Now listen to him. We talk about the object of his faith, but what about the objective of his faith? He said, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. How certain are you about your soul's eternal salvation? You ever seen heaven? You ever been there? I've never been there. I've never seen it. But through the eye of faith, I can see it. I can visualize it. And I know it's just as real as this building that we're in tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what Paul said. For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now Paul would say in that same context, we walk by faith and not by sight. So Paul, how are you able to have this kind of conviction? How is it that you are so persuaded in your mind that you believe that God... God will take care of you in the end. The answer is faith. Tonight, the news was on before we left for worship. And in the course of the newscast, they were talking about an individual who was shot and killed. And this individual had perpetrated a crime, if I recall correctly. I won't call his name, but when his name was said on television, coincidentally, his name coincided with a gospel preacher that I've known of all my life, still alive, 90 years of age now. And so if you were to do a Google search, I suspect that there are people around the globe that have your name. There are people who have my name. So here's the question. How does God know who's who? How does he know that, how does he know that you're who you claim to be? I mean, here was a guy in another state. Same name. He's a gospel preacher in the state of Tennessee. How does God know the difference? Because he's God. You can do a Google search of your name. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. Just put your name in. See how, many, see how many people have your name. It's amazing. The point is this. There will be no mistakes. God knows exactly who you are. He knows your faith, your service. There might be a thousand Billy Sassers, but God knows this Billy Sasser. There might be a thousand David Irvins, but God knows this David Irvin. That's the beauty of the God we serve. So Paul could say, look, I have committed my soul, I've committed my soul to him, as Peter would say, unto him who is a faithful Creator. God knows your faith. God knows your service. 
He knows everything about you. In Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus surveyed the churches of Asia, he talked about how he is the one who searches the reins and hearts. And he is the one who gives to every man according to his works. So God knows us. So what Paul is saying here is, look, I have committed my life to God. I'm a servant of God. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm an apostle. I am a teacher to the Gentile people. I have committed my life to God. I've given my life to His service. And so I understand, I know that when it's all said and done, God will fulfill His promises. Over in chapter 4, you remember Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith. And then he said, Henceforth there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only. Paul here is saying, look, when I leave this world, I know. I don't have any doubt, any hesitation, no negative thoughts. I know. I know I'm going home to be with God. I know that one day He will bestow on me the crown of life. Now, what's the application there? I think what God's saying to us is He wants us to be secure, doesn't He? He wants us to believe that when we die in Christ, all is well. Security. I can be secure today in Christ as I live here. How do I know that? Well, because John said if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. So as long as I'm living a faithful life, walking in, walking in harmony with this book, I know I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm cleansed, I'm heaven bound. So when the time of my departure comes, I say like Paul, there is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me. So the object of his faith the objective of his faith, the objective was to go to heaven. That's what we want. We want to go to heaven, don't we? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be terrible to miss heaven? You think about all the things that, that you enjoy in this life and some of the things that, that you want to do and that you have done. Goals and aspirations, things that you long to do. There's some things that I'd like to do, but look, if I don't get to do them, it's no big deal. I can live without it. But if I miss heaven, I miss everything. I miss it all. And I think when you look at the life of Paul, that's what he's saying. Paul's saying, look, I've been saved in the Lord. I am a servant of the Lord. And I am secure in the Lord. So what about his obligation in the faith? Listen to him in verse 13. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. And Timothy is his own son in the faith. Hold fast the form, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Paul here is saying, look, here's your obligation. You stay true to God. You stay true to His Word. If you do that, all is well. Now think about this for a minute in closing. If we simply do what God asks us to do in this book called the Bible, if we're trying to the best of our ability to live according to His Word, what do we have to fear? Is it... Is it not the case that there's a lot of uncertainty in our world? Yes. Unrest? Yes. Are you concerned about the future? Yes. 
Do you know what's going to happen a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now, a hundred years from now? No. But I know this. This book will stand the test of time. And every single promise in this book, God will fulfill. Now you just think about that. When God says he'll do something, he'll do it. And so God, through Paul, is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you stay true to this book. You don't depart from it to the right hand, to the left hand. If you do that, you'll be well. In closing, I would say to you, if you want all to be well with your soul, just stay true to this book. You'll never go wrong. Be faithful. That's what it's all about, faithfulness. Faithful day in, day out. Paul was faithful. Timothy was faithful. And he wants us to be faithful. So, if you are uncertain in this time of uncertainty, I want you to know that you can be certain. There's some things you can be absolutely certain about. You can be certain about your faith. You can be certain about your future. Well, how do you know that? Just follow this book. This book's your guide. You follow this book, you'll get home safely. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.